so to our YouTube uh, watchers. <laughs> you say welcome to Boathead. How do they know what they're watching? Do we need to? <laughs> so to our YouTube watchers, James has gone gone full on straight. Oh, man. Hold it's on a second. blind. No, James has gone full on train spotting on us. That's not true. I'm broadcasting now from Australia. This is how those people live. Hi, Glenn. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. You're upside down. I found a poll out in my yard and posted about it. And Glenn said if I followed it long enough, he would be on the other end. Would he be sitting on it? Did you did you did you please please say you made a comment of would you be sitting on it? He got his Mick Garris or at least helped. I think he I would thought laugh he was at making that. a flagpole sitter reference. See, I, I'm I not was thinking, sick. I was actually thinking about flagpole sitter as well. I'm not sick, but I'm not well. You're not. You're not you're not in good shape. You, you you didn't used to look like this to quote the ghostbusters well By now way, he's an amputee was here today and he heard clearly although he never picked up on what quentin was saying but it was mother puss bucket <laughs> do you go good son good son no he didn't understand what he was saying mother puss bucket um uh, buttons and bows which i understand and home and garden i didn't teach that to him where, where does Home and Garden come from? What sick crap are you letting that child watch me from talk about Home and Garden? So, before we get on to our topic, I got to ask you guys a question. I do not know anything about fashion, obviously. <gasps> what? I would never would have known that had you not told me. But I hey, is I'm... James upside down? No. Okay. I'm in the upside down. I'm going to turn on your Christmas lights whether you want them on or not. <laughs> 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 oh it took me a second uh, anyway, so anyway so i'm not keen on fashion but i think i saw what may be the most insecure man in the history of ever listen chad i want people to love me <laughs> and here's why not only was he wearing suspenders yeah but he had a belt on as well yeah i see people do that isn't that kind of defeat the purpose of the suspenders? They're usually in maintenance. What is what? <laughs> the people I've known who I've seen do that quite a bit are in maintenance. Yeah. No, this now, was Chad, who was in maintenance. Chad, in all fairness, the the other thing that you need to think about is what sort of support did he need? Did he also have it with a nice frisier? That's true. <laughs> I didn't think about that. True. <laughs> We should support others as they need to be supported. Listen, Judgey McJudgerson. I just felt like in your house of judging. I just honestly looked at the son of bitch. Maybe he got pantsed, and pantsed is a term for where they pull their pants down. Maybe he got pantsed, had, had his 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 wiener came out. This happened in grade school. A bunch of girls or, or a bunch of boys laughed at him, and he has been ter- petrified ever since. Maybe. Maybe this is the way the duck of the human beings. I just want to look down because he seemed like the type of person who would also duck his pants into his socks too. But no, that didn't happen Could either. Be afraid of those pants coming off and letting his everybody see his uh, his uh, tackle. Maybe, but that man needs to live a little. Pick one or the other. Hey, I agree. I'm going out and showing the twig and berries to anybody who'll look. And also, people, suspenders. It's over. Quit. Give give up on it. It's, uh, now, it's, now, in all fairness, you're not being culturally sensitive. If you're wearing lederhosen, it is appropriate to wear suspenders. But you got to be blowing out of one of their big ass horns, otherwise, yeah, I, just I was going to say, it. yes, James. And let's if you talk about cultural. Ins- fuck you. 
Yeah, cultural insensitivity. Yeah, the Germans. <laughs> They're an understanding. Yeah, maybe people. if people are treated with more respect, they would wouldn't act that way. I've seen Rocky Four like. Oh my nine. God! We let's get onto the topic before we. <laughs> yeah. So this topic is on by the seat of our pants. It's one we wanted to do for a while, I, and it's one of our I, hardest. Yeah, I am not happy with my list. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with mine, but I, I, I went with ones where I was like, mm, everything that they did, I can at least find something. <coughs> so, I'm not yeah. happy with my list because there's just too many. Yeah, that's exactly See, why I, I'm I didn't have that problem because people constantly disappoint me. <laughs> well, I, even the people whom I'm going to talk about, even when they disappoint me, disappoint me it's an interesting disappointment. Exactly. And that's, um, well, I only have one case of that happening with my directors. Um, but yeah, the, no, but the one there's a, there's always, you can always look at his, his bad movies and find something enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and I, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, my, like you said, this list was hard for me because I left off. Well, one thing I had it down to, to, to at least six or seven, but then I had to dismiss a few of those because I figured you guys would bring them up. So I left them off my list. So we're doing our favorite directors and these aren't the best directors. And honestly, I have a hard time saying these are my three favorite directors because I have a bunch of directors. As do and, I. And the point, uh, and this is going to be a little bit of anyone knows me. That was my dream. That was my dream when I was a little, from a little boy on. And I failed at it at 42 years old. We've made some short films, but I've clearly not made a living as a filmmaker, as a director, and that's what I wanted to do. So a lot of these people, the three I'm going to talk about, is probably more accurate to say I looked up to them the most. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to call it favorite, that's fine. But I, I, these people influenced me greatly. Even if I didn't end up making those movies, these people influenced my life. Yeah, no, I, and I was going to say, my my list is literally just people that, uh, I love to quote movies, and one of them is literally because I was just thinking of movies that I quote or get quoted in pop culture all the time, and the director that did so many of them, I was like, he deserves credit for d filming those scenes in such a way that they did become so quotable. So yeah, I mean, my, my picks are all over the place, a lot of old stuff, but there you go. I've got a black cat under my legs who keeps purring loudly. If any of you hear it on the, uh, <clears throat> on the oh, that's okay. We just we just thought you were farting. Well, that's a real weird fart. Have you heard your farts? They don't sound relaxing and hypnotic and at the same decibel. They they'll go low. They're like a mountain peak. James, do you agree with this at all about Joe's farts? I mean, I don't tend to catalog them, to be honest, but... What else oh. you got going on? I do uh, cocaine. I've okay. heard, I've it's really you. easy to do cocaine here in Australia because you don't have to snort it up. You just hold it up and it drips He's right still in. upside down. For you all who are not watching us on the YouTube, James is still upside down. And it's still just as funny as it was the first time he did it. By the way, we've all seen James with that 1960s reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder with the microphone right near your sphincter going, hee, But that's James making that noise. Yeah, yeah, okay. it is. Okay, Anyway, so who wants to get us started, gentlemen? Joe, I'll let you go first, sir. All right. 
So to narrow this down was the biggest pain in the ass. And at the end of the day, it's very cliche for anyone who knows me very well. But these are three people that, in fact, it's, it's kind of it's kind of like going pick your five favorite films, which I don't think any of us can really do I, I, because it depends on my mood, man. And then I go back a few years later, and it's a little different. One of these people, I go back and watch their movies, and I'm like, oh, it's different as a 42 year old man than it was a 13 year old boy. You know, right. it's just different. Does that has the same effect? So, I, I, I'm having a hard time going. I'll just pick one. So I'm going to go with the probably the most prominent, and this one's very cliche for any filmmaker out there, but I have had and still I still have an obsession somewhat with Orson Welles. And part of it is directing and part of it is the man himself. So other than the fact that I could sit here and tell you that he directed Citizen Kane, the lady from Shanghai, Touch of Evil, Chimes at Midnight, if for fake, by the way, F for fake is the one that no one remembers and that they should. And James, I know you've seen it. I can't remember if Chad's seen it or not. I've seen it several times. It is, it, it's his later day masterpiece, as far as I'm concerned, that nobody ever talks about. It's a, it, it is it, a very unique film. It's, but he reimagined how you tell a movie. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. And it takes about 15 to 20 minutes of watching it to kind of catch on and to get how the story is unfolding. And then to realize that an hour into it, you've been duped from that point on. Yeah, because you could almost say he was going to do it to you at the beginning yeah. of the movie. And you could almost say like the first part of that movie is kind of like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're kind of looking like you're watching like an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. That's absolutely what it is. And it's talking about fakers and some famous fakers and they're one of the two people that they talk about one in particular there was an actual richard gear movie made about this famous faker as well and i'm not going to go into that yeah it's called officer and a gentleman <laughs> no those are just orgasms he faked all his orgasms um i almost said because he had that gerbil but kelly mcgillis is in top gun isn't she yes is that laura who is that who's deborah that? winger deborah winger thank you i couldn't remember you're welcome you know her from legal equals and the gerbil's name was hammy Look up Legal Eagles, directed Ivan Robin, the one that no one ever remembers that was directed by Ivan Robin. It's a comedy with Robert Redford, and those work. Anyway, moving wrong. Orson started out born to an older gentleman who was basically a playboy and a younger mother who was a feminist. They both. All right, I hope our YouTube viewers are enjoying the hell out of this right now. What's going on? <laughs> Look at miss- James. James is reading. Muppet's character encyclopedia is, oh, that's that's funny, James. <laughs> I'm sitting here pontificating, and you are sitting there making, making anyway, it doesn't matter. Visual so, jokes on no, a podcast. Do you all know where Orson was born? I find this fascinating. Toledo. Kenosha, Kenosha Wisconsin. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> thinks he was born and raised in, in, in Europe, but he's born in Kenosha, Wisconsin. His dad was basically a playboy who who was kind of a part-time inventor who had inherited a lot of his money. Orson was then raised throughout Europe. His mom and dad both died. He tried to stay out of school. He actually went to Ireland and would try to become a painter, and he never was all that great of a painter. And then he kind of fell into acting later on. He became famous on Broadway. He was also made a fortune and for some people who probably don't understand this television hadn't been invented really 
and he was on radio and radio was the thing and he was the voice of what gentlemen oh transformers <laughs> uh the uh, oh, oh the trailer to star trek the motion picture chad who was he the famous voice of do you know uh you're throwing the me for shadow the shadow oh yeah. the shadow yeah yes, i was just being asinine the shadow. Little, but yes he he made the here's a quick story so orson Which, by was, the way you can you can find episodes of his uh the shadow on uh podcast uh, mm-hmm. uh pod pod uh Podbean, whatever any pod place you would listen to podcasts you can find old episodes of the shadow of orson wells and you can also find a lot of episodes of what he created uh, which was called the mercury theater which was on radio and then was also did plays he made a fortune during the depression when other people weren't necessarily making a fortune he was such a busy radio actor that he found out that trying to get to one place or the other took so much time in New York that he could hire an ambulance and there was nothing illegal about it. And the ambulance would just turn on the siren and take him from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And we're talking about a boy who was 22, 23, making a fortune on radio and on the stage. Now I could talk about his stage. Oh my God, there's a great movie if you're interested about uh, the works program with actors. What was the name of that again? Does anybody remember off the top of their head? You're talking about the works progress, uh, work, uh, the WPA. WPA and uh, Cincinnati. No, that's WKRP. No, but there's a great movie about it, and it's a true story. The movie's not as accurate, but it's about a cradle will rock about socialism, and the movie's called Cradle Will Rock. And if you ever get a chance to watch it, it's a fascinating film. Anyway, so it became uh, really famous, huh? I was going to say there's also a uh, if you're interested in fictional accounts of it, there's a uh, story, uh, a novel called Witches on the Road. Which is actually about that the uh, uh, photographers coming to Appalachia, uh, and then it also takes a supernatural turn. But that being said, which is on the road tonight? There you go. So he was very famous doing the <laughs> sorry the Mercury Theater, and but where he became great fame, where he became slightly infamous, was the famous War of Worlds, where people actually thought that they were attacking because he he did it as he did the first fake broadcast of it as being a news program and it was an interesting take on it, something different this led to hollywood coming coming and coming and they kept offering money till he finally had to go basically rko gave him the studio and he got the contract that a lot of directors hated him for for many many years because he got final cut which was unflipping heard of at that time and made citizen kane now, I'm not going to go through the whole story. I could spend the whole next three episodes about this, but... Especially because you want to do a whole episode on Orson Welles, but... <laughs> I'd love to do a whole episode. It's on the list. I'd love to do a whole episode. <laughs> He's a fascinating cat. He fell out of popularity and ended up doing magic, working as an actor, living his life here and there, but it's... Advertising peas. Uh, it's unfortunate that we only remember him for Citizen Kane because, yes, he probably made one of the most important American films ever made, but he went on to do other things. He didn't flip and die then, and that's the unfortunate thing is that I think he gets wrapped up in Kane and that he was a washed-up success at 26, which you can say there's some validity to that, but there's also so much great work that came after, so... I, I know everybody else wants to talk. I'll kill it there with Citizen Kane. Well, real quick, I'll, I, I will say Orson Welles also deserves uh, credit for another reason. He's the one that gave Kermit the Frog that standard rich and famous contract. 
Yeah, and I think people know him more. Uh, it doesn't matter. Check out Orson Welles. Hopefully, we'll eventually get to do a whole episode on him. On him, I won't talk about him as much now. Fascinating character. Do I think I can? I say one thing. I don't you care. Can, out of the three want, yeah. people, out of the three people I've picked, I would love to interview him, but I doubt that I would have actually liked him as a person, even though oh, I yeah, find no. him fascinating. Does that make sense to you all? Yeah, no, I, and that's the thing. I, you, you, your dream was always like to Dick be a Cavett. I'd love to know, talk to Dick Cavett more. I'm on his second book, but I think he's a D-bag, and I don't know that I'd like him. And, and that's it. You, your dream is to be a director, but most of the stories I know about directors, if they did a lot of directing, there's very few that have constantly great things said about them. Very, very few. And we've talked about John Ford immense, uh, quite a bit on here. So, who's next? Sam Fuller. Oh, come Sam Fuller. I mean, his, his book, The Fourth Phase, is so fantastic. Instead of fucking saying action on those, on those Westerns, he would fire a pistol. <laughs> now, Clint Eastwood doesn't say action. And the reason being is he worked on so, just to tell you how crazy bad shit this is, is because he said he worked on so many Westerns that the pistol would scare the fucking horses. So, he's like, yeah, just go. Didn't want to scream. This right. crazy son bitch fired a pistol. <laughs> Sorry, Ooh. Ed. James, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I must start with one that you know sometimes gets uh, credited for being. Um, oh God! If he goes into Mano's hands of fate, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna no, drive down the road no. and punch him in the throat. Uh, sometimes it's remembered as an. I've got new tires. I can make it in this rain. Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. Not driving around on them baloney skins anymore. <laughs> Now Chad can come pick us up, take us about. <laughs> um, Have you seen my car? <laughs> not lately. I haven't seen anybody's car lately. A lot of people know this director for for making a uh, a lot of schmaltzy uh, films, but oh I God, actually Gary Marshall. Marshall. I'm punching you. In the oh, it took no. <laughs> me and Joe at the same time. Did Gary no, Marshall? I'm going to go with somebody that, I, and I didn't realize how many movies he made that I loved until I was sitting down thinking about who I was going to talk about. I'm going to go with Frank Capper. Really. Frank Capra, most people go, oh, it's a wonderful life, right? Well, he also no, did. no, 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 no. Oh, by the way, it's a wonderful life is a good movie. I it is a good movie. I didn't actually, I don't think I saw it as a grown man now. Uh, but he also did Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which feels way too long now, but it's a good film. You also get one of my all-time favorite movies with Cary Grant, Arsenic and Old Lace. You get it happened one night. Yep. You get Mr. D Goes to Town. You just get so many. I prefer movies. the Adam Sandler's version. Nobody prefers <laughs> Adam Sandler. Um, prefer the Adam Sandler version. Um, By the way, to our listeners, that's a joke. You get lost. Horizon. Adam Sandler totally prefers the Adam Sandler version. <laughs> we, all know, we all know. Well. We all know. We all know. Lost Horizon with Sharon Gorilla. Do you know the story behind that, James? No, it, uh, Ronald Coleman though is great in that. But what's the story behind it? Real quick, I'm sorry. I know so much about some of these D-bags. Uh, so he worked for Roy Cohen, or not Roy Cohen. Uh, I can't remember his name, uh, uh, Cohen. Anyway, they previewed the movie and it was awful. And he thought he made it the greatest movie ever. And they were writing back and Cohen said, listen, and by the way, everyone hated Cohen. It, Orson Welles had some great stories about him. He bugged Orson's office, actually. So Orson would just walk by saying things to aggravate Cohen. So... He said, don't worry. He's, I gave you a contract. We're good. 
he went in cut the first two reels now if you don't know what a reel is a movie's made up of like is it 14 minutes guys i can't remember that sounds about right is it about because... 14 to 16 minutes somebody anybody anyway so it'd be like seven reels in full length film feature is about seven reels or something like that he cut the first two reels that's it and then played in the movie was is what we got today and those two reels were lost and he may, tried to make sure that they were destroyed that no one would ever see them again that's all he did um so uh, if Capra, anything else cut the first 20 minutes of your movie if it sucks capra is is just a fascinating cat anyway i don't know if you know too much about his him growing up but he he attended the so he was an immigrant he was from sicily picture this sicily 1897 frank capra's born um but capra so capra came to america he has an entire story about how bad the voyage to america sucked like they were on a boat that had no ventilation that it was just terrible and that they could barely breathe and all that stuff but they get here and he starts going to school at the los angeles manual arts high school he made money selling newspapers in downtown la and when newspapers wouldn't sell his brother would come over and start punching him to attract a crowd because people would start to run over when they saw this guy walk up and start beating Frank Capra as a child. And that crowd then would feel bad for him and buy newspapers. He's a fascinating guy in his own right. Obviously the war comes in. He made some, he did a lot of filming. Matter of fact, actually recently rediscovered some of the films he made related to the war effort. Um, he ended up speaking of John Ford. He actually responded to a cattle call, quote unquote, for John Ford's film, The Outcast of Poker Flats. He was cast as a laborer in the Ford picture and he introduced himself to the film star, Harry Carey. Two decades later, he would cast Carey. Decades the- later, Harry Carey found himself talking for the Cubs. Sorry. <laughs> If the man was made of spare ribs, <laughs> anyway. Which is um, funny because Harry Carey Jr. was was one of Ford's stable of actors. Sorry. Well, he cast Go him in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. About. Anyway, so if you've not, Frank Capper sometimes gets confused or, or, or people think that he made these really small seas films. You can't, uh, you can't take it with you as one of my favorite films that he did if you've never seen or actually i saw before i saw the movie i saw the play of you can't take it with you um it's basically about an eccentric family and get them having to you know their daughter wants to get married and they're more or less they're not the adam family type eccentric but they're just odd and they do whatever they really want to do and so if you've never seen you can't take it with you frank capper directed it it's a great comedy and that's what i think i like about capper he directed comedies he directed dramas, and all of them, yes, do have a heart to them. But he's just, it's its an interesting thing that, you know, we now actually have the term Capra-esque. Yep. That, you know, if you make something that has a certain level of heart, a certain level of, of whatever else to it, you can be called Capra-esque. So I think I Like Adam Sandler's him. Mr. Deeds. Anyway, I think it was I, making more about uh, Frank Darabont's The Majestic. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, no, Chad. Chris Farley's uh, Almost Heroes. I thought you were going to say uh, Beverly Hills Ninja. Ooh, 
That's close. That's got a lot of heart. That's close. Hey, can I tell you a quick secret? Do you guys know about Nicholas Meyer? Yeah. Well, yeah. one of his favorite directors is who? Frank, Frank Capra. Capra. Thank you. You know what really bothered him later on in life when he found out that Capra was a huge Republican? Because <laughs> yeah, there's well, a lot of Democrats who really love some of those movies. Keep going. Um, I found that fascinating. Well, you know, if you, and, but what, one thing you got to realize too, and this is what kills me about people who look, and we're getting into politics, but we're going to get into politics briefly. Up until the last 20 or 30 years, Republicans were Democrats. Yes. They flipped. So, yes. yeah, he, they still, he can still like Frank Crappa. You're okay. Who, me? Or are you talking no. about Nicholas Meyer? Nicholas I, Meyer. It's his book, A View from the Bridge, he talked about. It. It's, it's, yeah. It's, Look at history. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he doesn't know anything about history. He wrote about time travel. Oh, that kills me. <laughs> oh. So what Chad anyway. wants you to know is he always votes Republican. Now keep going, James. Anyway, uh, Capra was nominated for a few Oscars <laughs> along the lines. The one that's probably most famous out of them is he was nominated for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which, again, if you haven't seen Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Stewart also was in It's a Wonderful Life. He's also in You Can't Take It With You. But Mr. Smith Goes to Washington went up for a Best Director and Best Picture in 1939. But some film nobody remembers came along and stole them all. And we will eventually do... 1939 um once we get over 1994 he d even though it's a wonderful life wasn't necessarily a big hit he was later nominated for best director and best picture for that no it really wasn't a hit that's one of those yeah. movies that was found later like the wizard of oz but um yeah yeah he he just had this phenomenal career uh, and actually, he, he does have an autobiography, if you're interested in learning more about him, called The Name Above the Title. Um, and, and it's basically just his his history. His He talks just about everything from how he came to America up until almost his death. I mean, obviously, he didn't keep writing the autobiography after he died, which is really inconsiderate of him. But he actually didn't die until, I believe, the late 80s. Am I remembering that correctly? In the 80s, yeah, yeah. He, he still... He would talk. I'm sorry, 1991. Yeah, 1991. He would still talk to film students. I think he talked and lectured quite a bit. He would be interviewed quite a bit. That's how. It's actually how come I've seen a little bit more of him. But honestly, I didn't know he was an immigrant. I didn't know that, James. Yeah, he was, and and according I mean, to by the way, not, can't throw a rock in Hollywood, especially at that time, without hitting an immigrant. But I did not know Frank Capra was. Well, and so he also did a lot for other directors, which you talked about. I'm talking to, to um, film students. He was president of the St Screen Directors Guild from 1939 to 1941, president of the Directors Guild of America from 1960 to 1961. Um, and, the, uh, and by the way, critics of his time didn't use the term Capra-esque. They did something far meaner to him. They called his films Capricorns because <laughs> they were corny and smaltzy. Yeah. was actually what a lot of people said. Um, however, Entertainment Weekly a few years ago did a list of who they felt were the best actors, and even Entertainment Weekly placed him at nine. You mean the uh, best directors? So, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, he also was, I mean, he served on the jury of the Berlin International Film Festival in 1958. Just, he had tea in 1962. No, no, I was just pointing out some of the things. He was, he was, and he got it on in 69. Um, what? 
by the way, sure. just real quick, Let's start that I want to I want to include one last piece of trivia. Well, I, I just don't know, <laughs> because he was going to direct a certain film with a certain uh, well-known Western actor, but actually had a falling out with that Western actor. What? Um, he fell out with Clint Eastwood? No. Was originally supposed to direct and uh, write and direct Circus World in 1964, but quit the project when star John Wayne rejected his script and instead insisted it be written by his friend, James Edward Grant. So we almost got a a Capra directing Eastwood, or dressed Dang it, Joe. Directing John Wayne in a circus film. Because what could possibly go wrong with having John Wayne in a circus film? I mean, he was Genghis Khan. That guy, if nothing else, is a thespian. But yes, uh, yes, Chad, you are absolutely right. Matter of fact, he he was, uh, Joe, your point about him being Republican, he was a staunch Republican. Uh, Matter of fact, he was anti-everything that that was uh, related to anything that would affect children. Yep. So there you go. But yeah, if you've not seen Frank Capra films, uh, besides It's a Wonderful Life, check some of them out. And like I said, you can't take it with you. It was made in the 1930s and still has some laughs in it now, which is pretty hard to pull off. Oh, and Arsenic and Oak Blakes. Oh, oh my yeah. God. And it happened one night. Insanity still- runs in our family. Hell, it practically gallops. Yep. Such a great line. All right, my turn. No. Okay. I'll sit here. Get on with it. We've been waiting. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going more modern. Um, I didn't, I actually, none of my, I don't have any actor, any directors from that era. Yeah, don't watch the black and white. That's not true. I actually have two that I just left off because again, I thought you guys were going to mention them. Um, But this one by far, especially since Joe said Orson Welles had a big impact. This is the one who had the most impact on me. Um, Growing who up. directed who directed Garbage Pail Kids the movie? <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> Can we get them on? Can, no, I'd like oh, wait. to talk to him about that 10-minute opening credits. Somebody look it up. I really think I I tried. Uh, I think he's dead. Um, oh. I think I looked him up. But anyway, um, no, well, Tim Burton. Him up. Who? Tim Burton. Never heard of him. He yeah. made a black and white picture. Did you see it? Yeah, I love all three of them. Two of them. Yeah, two of them. <laughs> uh tim burton so yeah tim burton he had the most profound effect on me as a kid um all of his movies one after another oh my god what? sorry rod rod amatel amatel yeah directed garbage Pell kids the movie i just want to say he's credited he's also a producer but i'm now fascinated i'm sad that he did die in 2003 i'm kind of sad about that because he has some of the most weird credits ever. He did stunt work in a, in a 1950 Humphrey Bogart film in a lonely place. Can we get back to Chad going off? No, I him? need to learn more about this guy's stunt work. Did he take a lot of hits to the head doing stunt yeah, work? Talk about Tim Burton's taste in women. He did Mighty Joe Young, Joe. He has a type. He does have a type. Same kind of type I have, too, but keep going. Yeah, uh, no, so Tim Burton is just one of those icon iconic directors in my opinion who has kind of gone a little but anyway uh you know tim burton started his career as an animator for disney most people know that um he actually got bored with it uh so he struck out on his own and in 1990 1982 he released the short vincent which is an homage to his 
childhood actor icon Vincent Price. Because was that he not made for Disney? No, I don't believe so. And it also, by the way, is I mean, it's look a, it up. I could be wrong. Was I might no be wrong. to Vincent Price and Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, because he was also uh, what his main inspiration was to go into filmmaking was Roger Corman films. He loved. He grew up watching what Roger Corman loved. All of the Roger Corman films. Um, in 1984, he released the short Frankenweenie, um, which, you know, would get later get remade in a, to a completely your, different... Your sound's going up and down a little. Yeah, I was wondering about that, but I, I thought I was afraid it was me. Okay, let me try now. Um, in 1984, he released Weenie, um, and Paul Rubens saw this short, which is about a, a little boy resurrecting his, his deceased, deceased dog. Um, Paul As Rubens one does. Yes, Paul Rubens was so impressed with this short that he hired him on the spot to direct his feature film, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And of course, that was a major success. Um, he made huge amounts of money. That allowed him to basically pick his project. So he went from Pee-wee's Big Adventure to Beetlejuice, another iconic movie. And then the hits just keep coming. So after Beetlejuice and yeah, he Pete did Reed, Vincent for Walt Disney. Sorry, keep sorry. Going. Thank you for that. I, I didn't look that up. I didn't know, but he 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 got a lot of critical. Um, but uh, so he did. Most Beetlejuice. importantly, by the way, Vincent Price narrates Vincent. Yeah, he yes. got the guy to come in and do the narration because Vincent Price was pretty honored that he was the subject of of Tim Burton's film. Yeah, so, and, sorry, I and you can that. see a lot of that inspiration and a lot of his work. Um, but he, he, after Beetlejuice, he formed his own production company and then made the blockbuster hit Batman. And then of course, Edward Scissorhands, the list goes on. Most people who are listening to this podcast are aware of Tim Burton and how he made just a slew of amazing films. Now he did. He also made Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And that's where we're going to get into. He has made a lot of remakes that being said, all of those remakes, including Planet of the Apes for me, I can find something in there that I enjoy. Yeah, the, I, only, the only movie that I can say f- without a doubt is a huge miss for Tim Burton, Dumbo. I haven't watched it yet. I, I, I can't. Don't, I enjoyed s- some scenes and I had a hard time with Alice in Wonderland. I found it it's just so boring. I was going to say, I, because Chad, you actually, I was going to do Tim Burton. I, I figured you would do it, so I didn't. Yeah. It was on my list, but I'm glad you did it. But that being said, I think Tim Burton, even in the films that I don't necessarily jive with, so to speak, um, there is something there. Uh, Like, I actually, I read the book before I ever saw the movie of Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. I do prefer the book to the movie. But the problem with the book, if you read it, is that it ends as a book on a cliffhanger. And you can't do that in a film. Like the ending of that movie is completely different than the I book. completely forgot he completely directed it. Yep. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I you wanted just to, brought it up. Sorry. So, yeah, Miss Peregrine, I <laughs> love that book series. Ransom Riggs is the author. And if you haven't read them, I think he's up to four and then a, an extra book on top of that, which is the historical stories of the peculiars. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that movie for what he had to do to make it work as a studio movie um does it pretty well i mean because yeah. it's a weird book and it ends on a cliffhanger where pretty much they're going off to fight nazis and in my opinion with tim burton he has gotten into you know making these big spectacles yeah i agree with joe allison wonderland is boring 
Um, I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater. No, it's, it's my it's, wife it, loves it. She'll kill you all. It's boring, but I, I will say this: there are parts that are very enjoyable. It's a um, pretty movie. Yeah, it's very pretty to look at. But you it know, we're made t- a billion dollars. Yeah. Honestly, if you look at all of his work, I honestly think Tim Burton excels more at the films that are not so much reliant reliant on the big spectacle. I mean, his my two favorite movies of his. Ed Wood and Big Fish are very low key. All of Big his movies, the way he directs them, are, are 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 I guess a macabre version of Capper esque, though, right? I mean, they I, all have heart. Yes. The only argument I have with what Chad just said is uh, is Big Eyes, um, which is a lower budget film. It's a small film mm-hmm. he made for the Weinstein's. And it's almost a damn TV. Who I've never so, heard that name, Joe. Who who were those people? Did you, have you got Have you guys uh, seen Big Eyes? I was going I was going to ask you that because I I'm going on Tim Burton, but that's actually if there's one there's only one movie of Tim Burton's that I've never seen, and it's Big Eyes. Big Eyes and Big well, Eyes has a great cast, but to be honest, I haven't seen it. But it's about a husband claiming credit for his wife's yeah, art. Yeah, yeah, right? based Chris, on a true story. Chris Waltz and uh, what Amy Adams. Amy Adams. So Amy it's Adams. based on a true story about the Big Eye. Uh, this lady became famous, and her husband took over, took credit. He was an artist of these Big Eyed paintings. It it's a small movie. But it's not small, wonderful like Chad, and I'm going to assume mine and Chad's favorite are both the same, right? Yeah. Right? So why did I just forget the complete name of Ed Wood? Ed Wood <laughs> is my favorite Tim Burton film. As is mine. And, uh, then, and then a close second. Honestly, as much as I love Beetlejuice, as much as I love Edward Scissorhands, Batman, Mars Attacks. Uh, my second favorite, right, right there behind Ed Wood's Big Fish. It's the only, uh, it's one of the, it's one of the few movies that has actually Big made Fish me is a good cry. Movie. Big, Big Fish, though, I think is I think there's more going on there. I think that's there is. A, I think that's a man telling a personal story. Right. Well, and I'm gonna say like when we talked about Mick Garris and I was talking to him and it's like I, I, that's a per, there's something going on there. That's a man telling a personal story. Right. I uh, but I think Big Eyes is, a, is I don't know that either one of you would enjoy it. But maybe you would probably you know. to to me one of my favorite films because I think it has the most heart. I mean, just there's there's something it, it and it exists in its own weird world. What like, is there's it? no Edward Scissorhands? Yeah, it exists in its own world, but it's got a lot of heart to it. I get um, it more now than I did then. That's the same thing with ET. I did I, when I saw it, I actually thought eh, it's a lot on plot and I, it's beautiful, but I get it more now than I did then. That and of course I have a soft spot for Sleepy Hollow because it's just got so much that I love. <laughs> James, James, you nailed it. I was about to say because my dream back to this whole directing thing that didn't work out. One of my dreams was to make. I still have envisioned in my head, shot for shot, exactly how I wanted to do my own Sleepy Hollow film. And I remember sitting in the theater going, watching that movie saying well son of a bitch i'll never get to do that because actually that's one of the few times where i wouldn't didn't even get pissed going nope this is about as good as you can do because there's not a lot of and that's sleepy hollow the legend of sleepy hollow and that's one thing you got to give tim credit tim burton credit for he has mastered filmmaking in several different genres you know claymation uh, you know not nightmare before christmas nightmare before christmas was not tim burton i'm going the corpse bride of course and frank and weenie and then you have big spectacles like Batman and Beetlejuice and Mars attacks. And then you have the lesser films, like the, 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 the more storytelling uh, uh, focus, like Ed Wood and big fish, he covers it all. Well, and I want to say real quick, 
to your point, though, and I know we're talking about him as a director, but we can't not mention his work as a producer because he produced probably one of the most important films of 1994. Cabin Boy? Cabin Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get it out there. We have many short Cabin Boy into most of our recent videos, so I wanted to say Tim Burton produced Cabin Boy, folks. It's true. Also yeah. produced Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which is a phenomenal book, but somehow got, even though it was written by the guy that wrote the book, when he adapted it to his own screenplay, he changed a lot of stuff, and I'm still not sure why. Yeah, and I like the director, too. I, I liked a lot of the director's other, I liked Wanted, I liked the uh, Day, whatever it is, Breakers or Walkers or the other Russian film he made. Anyway, uh, I real quick before, and I know we roll on. Do you think he just got caught up in this is the movie I can get made? I think so. Which there's a lot to be said for that. A new yeah. Hollywood, which he, I mean, there's a lot of pictures that Tim Burton. You think, oh, he got to make the phone book. No, he didn't get to make Superman. He wanted to make Superman. Worked on it over a year. I watched an yeah, interview there's... with him and uh, Howard Stern. Have you ever saw that, Chad? Yep. Yeah. There's the entire documentary he they did. Sad about, about it. Yeah, and you know, for years. Now, granted as of yesterday this may still be happening but for years tim burton has won make an adams family movie and allegedly and allegedly as of yesterday he's making a live action television he's producing a live action television show oh really i didn't know that should be what it should and i mean don't get me wrong i love it should be a television i agree i do want it to be a television i wonder how come he never got to make it it's always been it's always he was working on a claymation version of it and it never happened and then we got this animated one that's Nah. yeah i agree i, I mean i enjoy it i enjoy it for what it is but it's not the, the problem is that adam family what you have to if you're a fan of charles adams he didn't have those characters named i mean all that stuff was more or less created for the television series yep. matter of fact cousin it was created for the television series and then he rushed cousin it into a sketch so it would technically appear in his comics before it appeared in the tv series yeah <laughs> useless trivia that's yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so Tim Burton. He, uh, when we talked, when we talked about favorite directors, he was the one. I, I like I said, I bounced back and forth with my list. He was the one that stayed um, yeah. at the no, top because I've just every film I have most. Of, I have most of his films upstairs, and I can obviously, with the exception of some of the more recent ones, I can still pop in and go, damn. Well, and to your point, because uh, like I said he was on my list too. I just want to mention like even some of the things that people didn't immediately think, oh, he would be good at that. Like, I was re-watching Sweeney Todd, which is not one that most people go, oh, Sweeney Todd. No, but I think he, I really liked it. Yes, I did, I too. did too. I liked uh, it I, better than I, I did the live action. The, well, the, I saw the play, and it was performed very well, but I still prefer the movie. Well, and I think that's it. I think he gets a certain level of grit to to the musical yeah. when, when he did it. So, um and even, I'll be honest, I, I picked up, it didn't cost me much, but I picked up Dark Shadows because I grew up. But Dark Shadows it. has some fun parts. In I, love, it. I, well, yeah, I enjoy it. Dark Shadows. It, Dark just, Shadows. It, falls off, it goes off the rails in that third act of them trying to encapsulate five years of a soap opera. Into and it was a soap movie. opera. And he made it more yeah. into a comedy. Yes. And it works as a comedy, but not if you're expecting the soap opera. I know some, I have some, some people I know are diehard Dark Shadow, old school jonathan fred barnabas collins fans and they were like your no brother, he's not barnabas right? what now your brother yeah my brother is, uh, was a big dark is a big dark shadow as far as i know um does so he yeah, listen to this yeah. show 
I doubt it. I don't know. I, later on, I, wanted, I, I would go uh, off about how much I do not care for that soap opera. You know, here's the problem. Have you ever though, seen it, the House of Dark Shadows, Chad? Mm-mm. You should Every, check it out. It's everybody okay. forgets or everybody thinks Barnabas was there from the beginning. He it is was. not. Yeah. He was added later on. The beginning of that show is almost, I I guess the only modern parallel would be kind of X-File-ish, where it's just this lady moving into a creepy mansion. And then later on, they added him, and it that caught on. Hey, do we need to move on? I think we do. I just wanted to throw out some other things about this is Because our episodes have been getting really long. <laughs> Not it's the about the experience, Joe. Yeah, it is about the experience. Okay, my next one up, I'm having a really hard time picking between the two. And when I say these three, there is not like this was one, two, or three. Oh, mine's not no. ranked either, yeah. Mine's not, not no, ranked. Mine not either. So the next one is really easy to guess if you've ever met me. But I'm telling you, I saw the movie when I was 13 years old, 12. I can't remember. Is this, is this the one that uh, cemented us as friends? Yeah, it's Sam Raimi. Yeah, yeah. So Sam Raimi is a director born 1959 in Michigan. He went to Michigan State University. I don't think. And uh, to our to our listeners, this is the one I did not put on my list because I knew Joe would. <laughs> well, in defense of me, he's I'm, he's one of the few that I, the other one I'm going to talk about I've met. So that's going to narrow it down real quick. But those mm-hmm. are the three that I just couldn't let go of. Yep. Sam Raimi, I I, I saw Army of Darkness. I saw a trailer for it. I didn't even know Evil Dead or Evil Dead 2 existed. And I made my mother take me to the theater. And I was one of the, by the way, Sam, Bruce, you're welcome. And then the theatrical run, I saw it, blew my little bitty mind. And I thought it was just the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then I found out that there was actual Evil Dead 2 and Evil Dead. And I had to, and this is by, by the way, some of you out there may be a little young to know but these movies actually were slightly hard to get a hold of. Now there's 5,000 prints of each one of them, but up until Chad, what do you want to say? The mid to late nineties, not so much. You, you, you struggled to find them. I was like, Joe, I, I watched army of darkness and was in love with it and didn't know for a few years that, Hey, there were sequels. There were sequels. Cause we were at that age where we wouldn't have seen evil dead two came out. In and, and, and my friend who introduced me to evil dead one and two, got them from not any of the video stores local. He had to go into downtown, into our, a major metropolitan area. Was it Wild and Wooly? Wild and Wooly video yeah. to find the copies and bring them and show them to me. I know. So Bruce Campbell used to talk about this. And if you read some of his books and he actually uses the word Joe, it's not about me, but he says your buddy Joe over at their house to watch a bootleg copy. That's really accurate. And then I saw Evil Dead 2 and then Evil Dead. I finally found a video store in Hyden that had a copy of it because it wasn't the one we usually go to. My mom finally, once again, God bless my mom. She's other things, but she's done a really good job of, of letting me be me at a time when I don't know that other parents would have. Does that make sense to you all? And I watched Evil Dead 2, blew my mind, watched The Evil Dead. <laughs> I thought, these are three different movies, and this guy's amazing. And I became obsessed with him. I loved it. And then I watched, probably watched Dark Man somewhere right around the same time of Army of Darkness. I didn't see it when it came out in the theater. I knew of it. I'd seen probably a little bit of it. And I was obsessed with him from that point on. I was obsessed reading about him. I was, I found Fango right about 93, 94. And it talked about Sam Raimi. And I just went on and on. And then the internet kind of happened about 95, 96. I was the first person i knew in my high school and then it was it was on to the races there 
I, if you know who Sam Raimi is, then I don't need to talk to you about Spider-Man. He made For the Love of the Game. He made a baseball movie with Kevin Costner that I actually will defend, saying it's just as good as most of the other Kevin Costner baseball movies. Yeah, and it has one of the most visually stunning elements of any film I've ever seen. Which one? When he when he goes into the zone when he's pitching. Oh, yeah, no, and it works perfectly. Um, I, I just think that he was unlucky of that came at the end of Kevin K. Costner baseball movies. Yeah. Right. And it also, and also Kelly that came out right after bull Durham. That would have been a huge hit. Yeah. This, this, I think this was Kevin Costner's last Last baseball baseball movie was that. And actually he was not happy over the cut. Apparently there was an R cut, but they were contractually obliged to deliver a PG 13 and Kevin Costner was never happy with the cut with the movie. Right. Which I, I kind of get, um, Sam has had some misfires. Uh, I finally tracked down Crime Wave later on, which is a movie he made between Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. That's the reason he went back to do Evil Dead 2, was because they were trying to get a movie off the ground. Crime Wave. Some people out there who don't know that Sam Raimi gave Joel and Ethan Cohen their shot. The Cohen brothers owe a lot to Sam Raimi. I don't know if they still talk. I don't know if they're still friends. But he gave them their shot. Joel Cohen was one of the assistant editors on the evil dead. And this guy at 21, 22 made his own little movie in the mountains of Tennessee and they raised 200 or $350,000 to do it. Now, can you imagine the balls? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And they, they made another movie to raise the money. So you all know the stories about all that. I want to end with this. As much as I love those movies, those are not Sam Raimi's best movies. I like Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 3 is probably his worst movie. Probably worse than Crime Wave. Uh, Even Oz the Great and Powerful. Problem with that movie, the reason that wasn't huge, is because people were obsessed with Wicked and they thought that's what they were getting. Right. And it's not. It's two totally different things. What do you guys think about that? Well, I did. That Uh, and James. James Franco and um, What's-Her-Face. Yeah. The, The one who ended up playing the Wicked Witch. I thought she was terrible. Uh, I, I don't hate her as bad as I do. I don't hate James Franco. It's just miscast. When you feel, when you realize that Robert Downey Jr. was supposed to be in that role and you're watching that movie, you're like, this shit was written for Robert Downey Jr. He would have been amazing in it. And this I can't believe I would have made another $100 million. I wish somebody would help me because I'm blanking on the actress's name. I actually like her. Mila I think Kunis? Mila Kunis. I think she's talented. I, don't, I, do I think she, she's got a better... But her acting in that movie is a little off the rails especially when she goes full wicked witch it, it just because yeah. she's screaming all the time it's just ugh. i haven't seen it actually but no i agree with out. you that spider-man 3 is his is his worst film it's probably his worst film there's a lot of reasons for that his best film actually is a movie called chad a simple plan a simple plan if you've never seen a simple plan it's written by scott i can't think of his name he also wrote that movie about where the he also wrote the book and the movie where the vines come and eat people was the ruins. What did you call it, James? The Rurns? Rurns. 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 Which is also, by the way, a fun movie if you've never seen that whole horror film. That kudzu's going to kill them people. Uh, a Simple Plan's better. <laughs> it is better. And it has Bridget Fonda. And we've heard Simple Plan stories from another person that we had on the show earlier. So, A Simple Plan, please, if you've never heard of Sam Raimi, who, by the way, had a ton of cameos in 80s and 90s movies from John Landis and a few others, Mick Garris. They were all friends at the time. Check out A Simple Plan. If you've never only seen The Evil Dead and the Spider-Man movies and that's all you know him, check out A Simple Plan with Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton and Bridget Fonda. All right, James.
All right. I, mine is, uh, again, it's, I guess I'm, I'm going old school, but Uh-oh. I couldn't not talk about this, this director because I was actually watching uh, a, um, a Muppets Treasure Island with my kids. And they made an illusion to a film this, uh, this director directed. And then I was watching something else and they made an illusion to another film this director directed. And I realized that he's directed so much and he directed in a way that it is referred to and it has became pop culture that still exists to this day. The Simpsons have made multiple allusions to his works, literally multiple, multiple allusions. Family Guy has. I'm talking about Kazan. Okay. Um, well, you're not allowed to talk about him because he gave names. Well, I'm going to say. Time so, out. Hold on, James, before you go on. I misheard you. You said I, Kazam, didn't you? I really thought you said Kazam. Ellie, is it Which Ellie? is a movie Ellie? that I enjoyed more than I should have. That is disturbing. What, Kazam? No. With Shaquille O'Neal, Joe? No, as a genie? the one I liked. Shazam. See, I got it backwards. Oh, my like Lord. Shazam. I love that. You just put that on your car, that takes the water right off. <laughs> the Shazam Wow. Shamwell does that. I Joe. love the Shazam Wow. <laughs> Elia Kazan, birth name, Elias Kanzaga Salu. Uh, by the way, also an immigrant. He was born in Constantinople. That was once Istanbul. Istanbul. No, no, it is Istanbul now. It was once Constantinople. It's Constantinople. Yeah, that's what I said. But it's Istanbul. Um, once. He directed 21 actors to Oscar nominations. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah. Do you know who directed Kazam? No, uh, yes, the same guy that directed V. Ken something. No, you're wrong. It was Starks, Starsky. Paul Michael Glazer. <laughs> really? He directed Kazam? He directed Kazam. <gasps> no, I'm wrong. The same guy that directed uh I was thinking, what's the other Shaquille O'Neal? Steel? The guy that directed V directed Steel. Look it up. Steel. Uh, In something, right? I that was to... free to watch somewhere. Steel was. And Silas made it about Starsky and minutes. Hutch directed Kazam. I did not know that. Oh, by um, the way, also in Kazam was a direct actor named Francis Capra. In his bio, it specifically says, not related to Frank Capra. <laughs> totally was. Frank Capra disowned him from the grave after Shazam. So, James, um, go on with your Kazam. Kazam. There's too many Zams. Keep going. Elliot Kazan uh, uh, was, he directed <laughs> A Streetcar Named Desire, Stella, uh, on the water. Yeah, but Tennessee Williams gave him everything. On the waterfront, f- I could have been a contender. And East of Eden, which gave us James Dean. Never heard. Um, Loved his sausage. <laughs> I knew you were going to make that joke, and I still didn't I'm talking protect- about his penis. <laughs> I still did not protect myself from, from making penis. that joke. No, that's... Anyway, the other reason I wanted to bring up Kazan is he is he not also direct- only... He also directed Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. You're not talking about Kazan anymore. Boomerang with Eddie Murphy was directed by the. Um, um, it's a different Boomerang. It was <laughs> this, the Boomerang he did had Lee J. Cobb in it. Oh, I was about to say I thought it was. I can't remember the black director's name who directed Boomerang. Keep going, anyway. Lee J. Cobb, Exorcist. Yes. Uh, anyway, Kazan, uh, uh, as Joe way, pointed out, is. Now, 
is uh, a, thanks, a controversial figure. Thanks to James. Did. Thanks to yes. James. Now Nick Nolte's never going to watch our show. <laughs> I know. Nick Nolte would not applaud. It was actually kind of divided. It wasn't on... just Nick Nolte. No, no, no. I, I will. Here's the actual, um, the actual kind of uh, commentary about what happened. So, by the way, did uh, you f- focus on his career and then we'll get to that, James? Okay, okay. I he directed some really good movies. Now let's get to the interesting part. <laughs> he won a, a best director for Gentleman's Agreement. And one thing I should say about Kazan, Kazan was interesting because he would only direct films that he felt had something current to say. So, uh, for instance, uh, mentioning Gentleman Agreement, it was, uh, he considered these issue films. So Gentleman's Agreement looked at anti-Semitism in America. And so it did receive eight Oscar nominations and three wins. Uh, He then followed this with Pinky, which was one of the first films that looks at racial prejudice in America. That was 1949 that he directed that. Followed that up with a streetcar named Desire. Um, by the way, he also directed it originally on Broadway. So he just took the Broadway adaptation he had done and moved it to film. Um, and that was nominated for 12 Oscars and received four. And he also did East of Eden. And, and so that's just some of the films that he did. Uh, looking at this from a couple different ways, uh, just to put this in a perspective, out the other reason I chose him was he was an award-winning Broadway director as well. So he won Best Director for Gentleman's Agreement. He won Best Director for On the Waterfront. He was nominated for Streetcar Named Desire and East of Eden. Um, he got a Lifetime Achievement Award, which we'll talk about in a minute, in 1998. But he also uh, won Tony Awards for directing Death of a Salesman, All My Sons, and uh, JB, I don't know JB. He won every Golden Globe Award he was ever nominated for, which would have included Gentleman's Agreement, On the Waterfront, Baby Doll, and America, America. Uh, he was nominated for multiple British Academy Awards. He won at Cannes for East of Eden. He won at the Berlin Film, or he was nominated at the Berlin Film Festival for Man on a Tightrope and Wild River. And he received later in 1996 an honorary uh, uh, Berlin Film Festival. And at the Venice Film Festival, he won for Panic in the Streets, A Streetcar Named Desire, and On the Waterfront. So he just has a a pretty massive career. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so we'll get to what makes him controversial. So when uh, he was directing, and he was was pretty popular, he was... He was uh, ordered to give testimony as a witness before the House Committees on American Activities, HUAC, in 1952, which was when the Hollywood blacklist was going on. And he, he got a lot of pushback from liberal friends and colleagues because he did attend meetings in the 1920s with communists. Which most people did. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and by the way. Uh, or Chad is, did. You, you have to understand that literally um, to they attend had, a meeting. They had food. And let, really, me, let me put it another way. Let's look at the case of Oppenheimer, who is a And scientist. really cool hats. There, I finally got it out. <laughs> and look at the case of Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer helped us win World War II. Yeah. And they ignored the fact that he hung out with communists and that he attended student meetings where communists were present. After World War II was over, he 
he he he got reinvestigated, and Oppenheimer ended up having to teach out of country. So it's not just a Hollywood issue. So that's why a lot of people do have issues with Kazan being involved in, in much of that. So that being said, he uh, he did pretty much turn over a couple different people. Um, originally, but to his credit, he originally tried not to name names. And as they pushed more and more, he gave up the following people. And I may mispronounce some names here. Uh, these were the eight former group theater members he gave up. Clifford Oditz, J. Edward Bromberg, Louis Leverett, Morris uh, Konarski, Phoebe Brand, Tony Kraber, Ted Wellman, and Paula Miller, who had married, uh, who would later marry Lee Strasberg. And so he also testified, though, that some of them left the party. Odets, he said, had already left the party when he, when Kazan himself left. And he basically tried to argue that so many people had already given up some of these names that he was just, you know, saying, well, you already know about these, so here's the names you already know. Yeah. Um, they, they argue that Kazan ended the career of Art Smith. He also is, he lost his friendship with uh, playwright Arthur Miller, who would later write The Crucible about, you know, this very same thing. Um, and so the, the back and forth that happens here is that later on, he is nominated for an honorary Oscar for a lifetime achievement. And he, as, as he's going for this, as it's announced that he has given it, as Joe has, or as Chad has already said, Nick Nolte does not applaud. Um, there's several other people that don't applaud. Let me actually pull up that list because I had it and then I moved something and lost it. Uh, so when he made LJ, Chad, well, if you're listening, if you're listening, not watching, Chad is rolling in the background like he's well, on I, a roller coaster. I had this and that ended up lost. So here, uh, Nick Nolte and Ed Harris were the primary people that would not applaud and would not actually even acknowledge it. Uh, yeah. They stayed in their seats and refused. However, the people that did applaud and including the people that not uh, that presented him. So Scorsese, who later won a Scorsese Award, and De Niro. De Niro. But Scorsese won a, later on did a, a, a um, project called Letters to Elliot. And it's basically his, it's an homage and a tribute to how vital Kazan was to Scorsese's own career. So the people that did applaud include, again, Scorsese, De Niro, Warren Beatty, Meryl Streep, Helen Hunt, Carl Malden, Kurt Russell, Kathy Baker. Um, and, and so I, I just want to say, again, this is one of the cases where a lot of people still argue. Uh, and when there was some pushback about, oh, he named names. Actually, one of the reasons they went ahead and gave it to him was that enough people in the Academy said, we have to separate the art from the artist. We are giving an award for directing, not for politics. And we cannot deny that he was a phenomenal director who gave us many of the most important scenes in cinema of his time. And so I, that's why I had to go with Kazan because everything eludes at some point. I mean, the screaming of Stella, the I could have been a contender, all of that stuff, that was Kazan bringing out some of his best things. And if you really want some interesting commentary, read some of his work, because he also did an autobiography. Read his commentary about how Brando and Dean were so different and about how he always viewed Dean as being really close to fracturing. Like he was uneven and unsteady, and he used that in the film. 
So there you go. Kazan, if you haven't seen any of his films, uh, go watch them. Okay. So my second pick, uh, probably out of the one, um, out of the ones we've discussed, this is probably going to be the most obscure one, which is, is kind of sad that he is, that I would have to put him in this ranking. Who did direct, uh, shakiest gun in the West? I don't know. Oh, but it wasn't this, it wasn't this, about. it wasn't this gentleman, Jean-Pierre Jeunet. Oh, Jeunet. One of my favorite directors of all time. Jeunet. And you, you can't, if, 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 and to our listeners, if you haven't heard of Jean-Pierre Jeunet, the list of movies that we're getting ready to talk about, at least check out one of them. I will give my, re- my recommendations as to which one you should, but his work. Alien is- Resurrection. Keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> His work needs to be more appreciated for what it is, in my opinion. Um, so Jean-Pierre Jeunet, the interesting thing about Jean-Pierre Jeunet is that he is completely self-taught. He, he taught himself how to be a filmmaker, which I think is amazing. Um, he, he, uh, he started out doing commercials and then from commercials, he went into shorts and this is all in France. Um, we won't hold that against him. <laughs> So I was um, going to talk about him going in someone's shorts and then I was like, nah, Chad's being serious. And the next damn thing out of your mouth is we won't hold his frogginess. I guess. Yeah. Keep going. Now, France has a lot of great things. Uh, they stole my Louvre map. <laughs> you were saying. That's a story for another day. That's a story. I'm sorry. I can't do pauses and talk about my personal life. Where am I at? Oh, yeah. So uh, uh, when he was doing uh, the film shorts, he, this is where he actually met one of his longtime collaborators uh, and a friend, Mark Caro, who uh, was a, a designer and artist. Uh, and Mark Caro also deserves a lot of credit for some of Janae's earlier work. Um, so they got together and they started working on more animated features, live action, again, all in France. Uh, France. Uh, and then uh, he, they broke out with uh, Delicatessen. Uh, that was their first uh, venture into feature film. And what an entrance into feature film is Delicatessen. Guys, I think we all agree Delicatessen is an amazing film. Mm-hmm. James? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, do you need my oh, approval? It's, yes. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's very inventive. Uh, the next one you're going to talk about is... is oh, yeah, uh, I'll get to there. Um, but the, the interesting thing about this one is I looked it up, uh, because they both co-directed this, uh, Delicatessen and, and his other films that we're getting ready to mention, uh, Jonet actually focused mostly on the actors mm-hmm. where Caro was more into the visual elements. And there is some great visual elements in Delicatessen. There's a whole musical scene yeah. that is all based around just sounds that are going on in this apartment. And if you haven't seen Delicatessen real quickly, it's about people living in a hotel during the apocalypse and yes. they are, it's their struggle for food. Um, but after this, uh, they then decided to, uh, again, take what popularity they got from Delicatessen and work on a film that they had been trying for 10 years to make. And that is the one Joe is mentioning. And it is one of my favorite films, again, of all time. I don't like to make a list, but if I had to make a list, this would be on it. The City of Lost Children. Um, and, uh, I didn't realize it took four years for them to make this film. I didn't either. Actually, I'm sitting here thinking, I I know someone who loved it so much. They named their daughter. Oh, wow. 
which is a funny story because she was telling me a story about Miette's taking soccer practice and the coach going, get out in there, meat! <laughs> because they ended up in Kentucky. Yes. <laughs> with a daughter named Miette. So again, it's the city of lost children kind of takes place in an apocalyptic world. And it's all about this man who lives on an island who is trying to dream again, and he can't, and he's aged rapidly because he can't dream, and he's stealing the dreams from children to try to bring that back to himself. And it stars one of the greatest actors of all time. Ron Perlman has one. By, by, by the way, um, you're talking about uh, one, one Frenchman. Ron Perlman worked with another Frenchman quite a bit. Um, now Del Toro's Mexican. Uh, um, Jean Jacques, I know, right? Uh, you know what? And so he's the one that made Quest for Fire, The Name of the Rose, all of these stars. Oh, oh I, you know, I don't think I didn't know his name. Sorry. And, yeah. and, and the reason I bring that up is if you get the opportunity to listen to uh, Ron Perlman's book, Easy Street the Hard Way. He talks about both these directors who evidently know one another and talks about how extremely different they are. And, and just real quick, Quest, his, his story of getting uh, cast in Quest for Fire, where he talks about showing up to audition and having to audition against people like Danny DeVito. Is this payback for me talking about Kazam? Yeah. Okay, uh, Danny checking. DeVito for the role. Can you imagine? By I don't the way, know if he was making a joke about Kazam and just wanted to say Kazam. If, if, There's too many um, M's and M's here. I want you to watch Quest for Fire and think that we could have had Danny DeVito in that role. I mean, Ron Perlman. But I just want to bring that up. You're talking to about play a caveman. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean, but he was born to play the role. But no, I, I was just going to point that out though that there's a lot of French films that both these direct. So he worked for two French directors. So when you brought up Ron Perlman, well, you would think there's only one French director. Oh my god, dead. Yeah, Go so Jean Jean Pierre Genet. Um, so City of Lost Children, again, great critical success. You know, Grant, here, again, this is one of those instances instances of where Joe talked about Evil Dead and you having to go to some bargain bin. Here, you had a, you had a hard time finding Delicatessen in City oh of Lost God, Children. Oh, my God, Delicatessen. Dollar, the dollar <laughs> store was a hell of a lot harder to find. I'm telling you, it. I don't know how I found them. Yeah, I don't know I how I found them at, again, I found them at some uh, artistic uh, video store that had you know r rare movies and All you know I for example autistic one you know in the 20s like now you in my sorry now you could you can get city of lost children and delicatessen streaming on netflix and amazon prime i can't remember which one it is oh, I didn't but, know they were streaming. but yeah they're streaming and city of lost children now is on amazon prime but back in my 20s when i wanted to own this movie because it was one of my favorite movies the only place i could find it was a bookstore and they wanted 50 bucks for it I will say I, the, the way I got to see City of Lost Children is uh, this may shock you as, as I know I come across as a jock, but in high school I was on the academic team, and uh, that's also it was, shocking. It, it yeah I know shocking, uh, and it was ran by a French our French teacher and I never took France for I never took never France took or France. French. Holy Thank God, shit, James. but. She she actually said, "Oh, you would like you like movies. You should watch this." And she actually gave me you a like copy movies. to watch. So Kids like go. music. Um, so no. Uh, so after you like after, the rock and roll. Like after this, uh, Jean Pierre decided to go more American, and that's when we got an Alien Resurrection. Now, out of and out of out of his entire film career, Alien Resurrection again is that dark horse. But again, guys, 
you all got to admit there's elements of uh, no 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 i defend him they uh the actually that movie the problem with that movie i, I actually think is joss whedon's script yeah there's prop i'm not bad i'm oh, just saying out of snap. out of his entire oh, snap. Uh, no and i would have said it before joss whedon had sex with all those women which I'm I just saying out of his why I got me too for it, but, but I'm ahead. just saying out of his entire filmography. Oh, probably. No, I'm but, and, and I still you. like it. I still like it. No, the problem with that movie is Joss Whedon's script. I yeah. Think. So they, uh, it's a different, do you know, by the way, who was originally the, who they wanted to direct alien resurrection and he no. backed out Danny Boyle. Oh, wow. No, that I didn't know that. His follow up to train spotting. Wow. Did not know that. But um, so Jean-Pierre Genet, he, he directed Alien Resurrection. And this time, Caro came along as a consultant. He didn't really have the same, you know, work in that he did with City of Lost Children and Delicatessen. But after Alien Resurrection came and went, uh, Jean-Pierre Genet then finally broke out on his own. And I want to point out, you know, a lot of directors will make a movie every two, three years. Jean-Pierre Genet is making a movie every four or five years um, because it takes him that long to get a film made. Um, but after that, he went on to do Amelie, the amazing is, Amelie. Don't you think that's what he's most known for? And I believe he won the Oscar for Amelie, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember, but don't you think that's his most famous film? I think that is his most famous film. Yeah, I think that's nine. the one. Yeah, and it's a, it's a beautiful love story. It is a beautiful love story and a beautiful film. Mm -hmm. um, and then that was followed up with a very long engagement. Again, another great film that people just don't talk about. And then you got Micmac, which is a great comedy. Love that movie. Um, and then uh, his last movie, which again, out of all Jean-Pierre Genet films, I didn't know what, uh, this one kind of slipped by me. You can see this on Amazon Prime. I highly recommend checking it out. The Young and Prodigious T.S. Bivet. Oh, that's a hell of a title. I'll check oh, it it's out. A, I didn't even know he had a movie out. Yeah, uh, no, this one's, this one's fairly old. Again, it was five years ago. Okay. Uh, uh, he's just now working on his next film, which I believe is called Big Bug, uh, which I believe is a direct to Netflix film. Okay. Uh, and it's about androids taking over the world and yeah. people trapped in a house while the androids are taking over the world. So it's uh, any Jean Pierre Genet, if you haven't heard, haven't seen any of his films, people, um, especially to our listeners here, get on our streaming services, look up Delicatessen, look up City of Lost Children, look up T.S. Spivet. You'll be, you'll, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I think a lot of them probably seen Amelie. And if they've seen Amelie, you will like City of Lost Children. Yeah, well, so, uh, you should watch it. I think. And if, 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 and again, one of those directors who had an impact on me just from his visual style is Jean Pierre Jeunet. Yeah. Joe, what do you got? Okay. So my last one is uh, not technically from Kentucky, like a lot of people. He is and he isn't. He's basically born in Carthage, basically. He was born in Carthage, New York. And then his dad was a music professor and then moved him down here to a little town in Bowling Green in the late 40s, early 50s to teach music. And that's where I, he grew up. I don't know if I ever told you this. Uh, my uh, television teacher in high school hung out with him. I don't know if I ever told you this. The guy who I couldn't stand who run the some sort of program to help, uh, I don't know, uh, Kids that don't read good, but one community team. college didn't like him because he said he was famous and uppity and rode around his Cadillac and got all the girls and would bitch about him from time to time. <laughs> and that, of course, is Joe. John Carpenter. Again, another one that was at the top of my list, but I knew Joe would bring him up.
So well, again, and Joe and I, Joe and I, pretty much dislike each other on a daily basis, but we agree on some things. Well, I, we also agree on. Uh, Ed Wood. Just give me a second. Pie, you fat fuck. I always tell people the only thing, the only thing that all three of us agree about is Ghostbusters. Yeah. But that being said, John Carpenter, I, to to kind of encapsulate what this man has meant to me and whom I've actually met a couple of times and who was very nice to me, which mm-hmm. I was that I didn't get to interview him. I, that was before all this happened. He, I think Wait. we get caught up with Halloween and well, we do well, go ahead real quick. Just real quick. James favorite John Carpenter film or John Carpenter film that you got introduced to first. What was it? Oh, first film. Um, Oh man. Um, Rapid fire. Go. Go in the Mouth of Madness. That's really? The first one? That's well, the first that's one. You're in the nineties, man. Man. Well, I was about to say, you gotta remember, I didn't like horror films. Yeah, but there's Big yeah. Trouble in Little China. That which was my I, I guess it was, probably was Big Trouble in Little China, but I I think my problem with Big Trouble in Little China was I watched the Fox heavily edited uh <laughs> noon showings. Oh even no. Even if it does, it still holds up. Where, what's yours, Chad? It would be Big Trouble in Little China. Trouble. Okay. Big trouble. And then that led to the thing that led to escape. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't see the thing till later. And then it just blew my mind. Yep. So a little bit about John. He went to Western and then he was in a rock and roll band. And then he left there to go to USC. Actually, technically never graduated from USC. I don't know. Either one of you know that he actually never finished his degree. He hung out and made, dropouts never amount to anything. Never amount to a damn thing. Nobody knows who this man is now that we're talking about. So he wanted to be a director. Do you guys know what he wanted to make when he went to Hollywood to do? Make Westerns. Oh. He never technically ever made a Western. Well, Vampires is a Western, but yeah. I was going to say, if it, Escape from New York, if you look at it, Crooked. Oh, yeah. Kinda. Yeah, and Assault on Precinct 13 is Rio Bravo. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. It's Rio Bravo. And by the way, his favorite director, Howard Hawks, because he says Howard Hawks made a good movie that you didn't know was Howard Hawks's in every genre. And that's the hardest thing in the world to do. To not bring attention to yourself, make a good movie and do it in every genre. He says Howard Hawks was the man. So that being said, he made his living doing what, gentlemen? For a long time, he was successful at it as a screenwriter. That's actually how he wrote his way into movies was uh, how he got his way into movies was being a screenwriter. And he talks about you would get, let's say you got a job to do eight weeks, which what you do, what he would do because he was lazy and liked to party was that he would do a really good detailed, like 20 page outline the first two days, party on the money and then come back the last two days that he had to do and then write the screenplay. But you had to have that really good detailed outline. Some of those movies went on to, uh, I think one of them was Bad Moon Rising. A lot of people haven't seen with Tommy Lee Jones. Eyes of Laura Mars was originally a script he wrote called Eyes. That's how he got into filmmaking. So he finally got to make Assault on Precinct 13, which is a smaller film. Um, I like it. I like the music in it. What do people remember about Carpenter films? The music. And I find it fascinating after all this time. Uh, what? Go ahead. People love Carpenter's music. It's but fascinating that he's you become, think you think out of everything in Carpenter's films, that's what it's remembered I, for? I think it's hard not to think of Halloween without thinking of the music. Okay. I mean, yeah, he's talented at many other things. Oh, the it music may help Chad best. if we did this. Here, let me help Chad. 
I know the soundtrack. Hold on, hold on. Dun 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 dun. Dun dun dun. Anyway, he. I find it fascinating that 50 years later, he's got a second career as a musician going on the road with his son playing out the sold out events. Y'all find that interesting? I think what, what was, Oh God, what was the interviewer where they said, uh, they asked him, you know, do you want to make another film? He goes, fuck no. All I care about is playing Xbox and playing my music. Playing his music. Loves talking about music. Likes hanging out. I believe out he also son, sir, mentioned, uh, uh, smoking, uh, somewhere in that that's right james sorry i forgot will he make it so that's an i could sit here so a few years ago this is the other thing i wanted to talk about because i think a lot of people already know about del uh, about carpenter del toro about two years ago does either one of you remember this went on a twitter rant for like two days on john carpenter about how great john carpenter is and no one gives the man fucking credit well, and then his- he just started going down his filmography, and it wouldn't have made any difference to anyone if it hadn't have been who done it, Del Toro, and people yeah. took note of. Do we forget that this man gave us Big Trouble in Little China? Do we forget that he gave us The Fog? Did we get forget that he gave Halloween and just started going down? And honestly, his last great film probably is In the Mouth of Madness. I was rewatching Vampires the other day. That's his last fun movie. Although I enjoy scenes in Ghosts of Mars. It makes no damn sense, but I enjoy scenes in it. It's still a little fun. I would love for him to make another movie. I don't know that he wants to make another movie. I think he's a very comfortable man who's made probably a good living, who's now more than many multiple times has talked about getting a free check for doing nothing from remakes and enjoying just reaching his hand down and people putting money in it. And I think he said it too much that people don't take him. Every time they start to take him seriously, I think he runs his mouth. Uh, and which, which gets to the producer who he almost married, who he didn't, who he left for Adrian Barbeau, who produced Halloween, Deborah Hill, talked about Carpenter could have been as big as Spielberg if he could have learned to work with people. And, and he has the famous quote in France, I'm an auteur. auteur. In Germany, a filmmaker. In Britain, a genre film director, and in the USA, a bum. That's right. But out of all his crappy movies, and I'm joking about crappy movies, what which ones suck? There's only a couple. Ghost of Mars. I don't actually put a Ghost of Mars on that. I because Memoirs of Invisible Man. Memoirs of Invisible Man and the uh, Visual Village of the Damned are the only two that I put on the list. Oh yeah. I don't know, man. Ghost of Mars. I, sorry, Joe. I disagree. Ghost of Mars is pretty damn unwatchable. I don't think it's unwatchable. In fact, I really actually. It's, but yes, Village. I, really of, I forgot. Like I really I, like the music for Ghost of Mars. I forgot Village of the Dam. That is that is a made-for-TV movie. You talk about big, you TV talk TV about big eyes. Yeah, Village of the Dam is definitely a made-for-TV movie. Made-for-TV movie. It feels like a television movie. He made it. He says the reason he made it was that he would did the deal with Universal. He he's one of many who was coerced or wanted to make a, a remake of Creature from the Black Lagoon that it didn't But that is out. his passion project, if I'm not mistaken, right, Joe? There's several. The only other pre- project, and I learned about it from him, is one of the books that I would love to do. Um, um, shit, I completely <laughs> forgot about um, uh, The uh, Star is My Destination. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is a fantastic book. So John Carpenter meant a lot to me turned out he wasn't an asshole to me 
and I would love to interview him someday, but I want to talk to him about stuff that nobody would probably be interested in hearing. I don't have any questions about Halloween. Yeah, I don't. I would, honestly, out of everything he's done, I, Halloween's just not the one I would I would care to ask about. I would like to get a memoirs of Invisible Man story. Going, what the hell happened? I would here? like well, Sam Neil, Sam Neil, and Chevy Chase. Well, obviously, he got along with Sam Neil, and he said yeah. wonderful things about Sam Neil. He said probably Sam nothing about Chevy Kurt Chase. Russell. He said Sam Neil's like Kurt Russell. Is it? He's the kind of actor you don't want to work with. He knows his lines. He shows up. He hits his marks. He does everything. Is it? that you want him to do. I don't remember him telling a good Chevy Chase story. Most people don't have one. <laughs> no, not a positive one. Mm. Or they have a good Chevy Chase story, they just don't have a positive Chevy Chase story. Yeah, exactly. I still think it's hilarious that poor Harold, Harold Ramis is now passed on, but he threw a suitcase at Harold Ramis during the making of Vacation. Hey. All right, James. You know, I, I literally, by the way, have been sitting here tossing up about six or seven different names, and then it dawned on me which one I have to go with. Because most people are going to argue he's more of a producer, and you would be right. But I cannot let this go without mentioning the director that is Roger Corman. I knew you were going to – I thought that's who you were going to do beforehand. Yeah, James, I thought that would have been your first I'll be one. honest, I, guys, it didn't even occur to me until about 30 minutes into this mess to even think about Corman. I but have Corman, no idea why. Because Really? Matt – you going to tell the story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a a, a, um, a signed uh, Corman thingy. Is it the Raven behind you? Um. Yes. There I'm you go, it. James. You're welcome. We anyway, it's not that one because Chad gave me that one. Uh, he signed. It's a laser disc. I have a signed laser disc by Corman. It's not that because Chad gave me that. One. You're welcome. Um, but. Corbin is more of a producer. He didn't direct that much. And some of what he directed. Well, he directed quite a bit, James. Oh, well, yeah. He just produced not, more. Not near as much as he produced. Well, no, say. because the man's more machine now. He directed 56 films. He produced, uh, I don't know, 4,000. Uh, let me see. He, pro he, he only directed 56. Chad, Chad that only 56. He produced, the last one was Frankenstein Unbound. I mean, I think, Jean -Pierre, I think why I picked Jean-Pierre Genet did like, has done like seven. He produced I don't even know what it's about yet, Chad. I think it's about 40. He has produced 414 films. He's more known as a producer than a director. And some of what he directs sucks. I mean... Um, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you ever see Gunslinger? No. Gunslinger uh, was made fun of on Mystery Science Theater 3000. It is a, uh, a a western where a woman's husband is uh, cut down, uh, shot down, and she, her name is Rose Hood, has to become the sheriff until a new one arrives, and she falls in love with uh, the guy that she is sent to kill her. Hold on, I gotta do it. She's the sheriff. She was too. <laughs> anyway, <Keep going>. um, <laughs> so, uh, but Corman Lobo, Lobo, Sheriff Lobo, Lobo. Um, <laughs> sorry, you killed me. Um, <laughs> probably the reason I'm gonna go with uh -oh. Corman, though, as far as what you all were talking about having an impact on me, I loved when I first got into horror movies probably because of my mother, she loved the Corman Poe adaptation. So she's, I mean, I remember, you know, the first horror movie that I- Yeah, I, a lot of his films were low budget. 
Uh, thank uh, you. Po. Uh, thank you. Po. Uh, and several of these were done with Vincent Price. Not all of the Poe ones are Vincent Price, but the good ones are. Uh, we got the Raven. We got all right, Honda quick, Palace. quick. Top of your head, best, both of you, best, best Poe Price movie. Go. Mask of the Red Death. Mask, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, I'm going back and forth between that and House of Usher, but I I did this for uh, Scarefest, and I I, I think it's Mask see my Red second Death. would it's probably and I like Usher, but I love Pit and the Pendulum. That was my second one. By the way, do you know who wrote A Mask of the Red Death? Charles Beaumont, who wrote who like with Richard Matheson, who wrote Follow House of Usher, and Rod Serling wrote all the great Twilight. Uh, but we also he did other ones, The Tomb of Ligeia. Uh, and by the way, real quick, another Vincent Price one he did was Tower of London, and useless trivia on that. That was a remake, but Vincent Price is in both versions. He plays the main character, whereas Karloff played the main character. The Tomb of, the tomb of what, James? Ligia? No, Gia tells all, all truth. You turned on your microphone for that. James, go! Yep. He also did give us, of course, Little Shop of Horror and Bucket of Blood. So you gotta give him some credit. Uh, he's known as the King of the Bees, and he turned out most of these films stupidly quick. So I, I had to bring up I had to bring up Roger Corman as the director because he is probably somebody that had a huge impact on me. I always loved Edgar Allan Poe uh, and his film versions of Poe, even though they often veer from the original source material. Well, there's there not, a lot of fun. I mean, we're talking about a 10, 14 page story. It's hard to or sometimes a poem that's a page and a half long. Like the Raven. Which is yeah. a fun movie. Well, it's, and it's fun because of everybody that's in it. Uh, it's too bad that that young man in it never went on to do any film. No, no, no. What was his that, name? Little Jackie Wilson. Nicholson. Yeah, yeah Jack. Jackie um, oh, Jack. I, you would think that somebody would have took a shining to him and gave him a chance. Ah! <laughs> no, 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 no. He missed out on all those two those two Jakes. I was trying to think of something. <laughs> that's Chinatown. What are you yeah, do? what do you um, expect is Chinatown. X, by the way, another fun one that stars uh, stars people, I should say, but most people have forgotten is actually X, the Man with X-ray Eyes, which is that's a good one. It's a it's a pretty good film once you go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you. I agree. And by the way, bucket of Bl buckets of blood is a good one too. Yeah, and uh, probably a little bit of a history lesson for some people about beatniks and what that was. But yeah, yeah. all right, Jad, you're in. Oh, and the trip. We should mention the trip. Yeah. The trip and wild angels, and we could keep going, Chad. Guys, okay, I'm I'm struggling with my third one. Uh, you all struggled with your first ones. I'm struggling well, with my third one. You struggle with your addiction. Yeah, and you know, normally I have my just list. Addiction. He doesn't have, enunciate well. Sorry. <laughs> I have my list pretty much laid out. I'm the only one. I, you know, I usually have these are the only ones I'm going to talk about. But I'm struggling between three. But I'm going to go with the one who, when I, when I was in high school, just like Joe, I wanted to be a director and a writer. That was all I wanted to be. Uh, even, even growing up, that's all I ever wanted to be. And I always trying to figure out, you know, the types of movies that I would be interested in making. And then I was introduced to this, this writer-director in high school, and it clicked that that is the type of movies that I wish I could make. I'm talking about Kevin Smith. I think this one was kind of on the nose for you guys. You all know that he's well, one I of my think most of ours have been on the nose, but yeah. I, I completely get it. That's, that's yeah. That's Kev, Kevin Smith. Uh, when I saw clerks for the first time, 
I was like, he made such a interesting film with so little. If you don't know about the making of it, he literally maxed out his credit cards. He didn't think this movie was going to do anything. He just threw a bunch of credit cards at this making this movie. Didn't know how he was going to pay it back. No, he was like, I can spend twenty some thousand on tuition, or I could do it on a movie. Yeah. So yeah. he did the. He made the movie, and you know, he, the, re, the and it re- blew up. It never worked out for him. He now wishes he would have went to college. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he, he, and then he followed that up with mall rats, which it's his ode to John Hughes. A lot of people don't think of it like that, but it's, it's his ode to John Hughes, uh, the eighties the films that inspired him to be a filmmaker. And then of course his, then chasing Amy came out. And I thought I rom-coms may be my least favorite genre of films, not musicals, man rom-coms are right down there at the bottom uh it's a it's a it's a toss-up between musicals and rom-coms he demands, to launch. you he demands that you either go rom or com and doesn't he believes it's an unholy union okay <laughs> yeah, real quick real quick let's do this one more time i've kind of had it fun worst rom-com of all time go me serendipity oh uh the the lake house i never saw it oh um, uh, oh man i don't know worst one james off the top of your head serendipity do it oh see i've never seen uh what's what's the one about the lawyers um there's a bunch of rom-coms about lawyers george clooney lawyer movie cruelty that's the one directed by the coen brothers no no one fine day no i'm it's not george clooney i'm getting it confused now one fine day is not that bad no it's not that's actually entertaining crap what is it Uh, anyway he's uh, missing the point of rapid fire i i don't watch a lot of rom-coms I don't watch a lot of rom No, but you could have told me your worst one. You Everybody's got one that's like, ah. I, see, I block them out if I can. Lake House is unfucking watchable. But anyway. Is that the magic mailbox? Yes. I wanted that magic mailbox to meet the magic mailbox from Butterfly Effect and do a crossover. There's another one, too, that I had to see on a date once. But, geez, I can't remember the what, name. I'm trying to remember the one with dog. Is it Walk with Dogs? With John Cusack? and uh, Serendipity. No, there's hey, are you talking one. about cats and dogs? No, it's no. I, that was not bad. No, I'm going to have to look it up. It's <laughs> it, James. Look, you can look it up while I'm talking. It's I think it's called Walk with Dogs. Um, I think it has Diane Lane and John Cusack in it. I could be wrong, but anyway, no. Uh, Kevin Smith. So he followed that up with Chasing Amy, and that is quintessential rom com for me. I think it's it's a perfect film in terms of, of its storytelling, its inside jokes, everything about it. And then, and then my favorite Kevin Smith film came after that, Dogma, which I feel must like love dogs. Must love must dogs. Must love you. dogs. The movie's fucking unwatchable. I don't even remember it. Um, but no, because uh, you hate but, dogs. And, and I, I want to say, I want to say as soon as them. as soon as I said must love dogs is fucking unwatchable, my little puppy just walked into the other room. Well, yeah. So anyway, now not a nice person. Keep going. Uh, so, no, so uh, Dogma is a great film that kind of at the time it got a lot of backlash because of the fact that from the cat from the Catholic religion because of its views on on that it told uh, on religion. And one of the funniest parts about that is there was a protest going on, and Kevin Smith actually attended the the protest as yep. a protester and got interviewed for local television and talked about how awful this movie was. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't give a shit <laughs> uh, but uh, you know 
is he the best director filmmaker of all time oh god no, no. but no. i don't know that other than wells who on our list capra tim burton a little we i don't think that we named people that were their reinvented cinema except for yeah. a couple Jean, yeah well jean pierre Genet a little bit but it's and sam raimi a little bit anyway uh yeah, but Ke but uh kevin smith you know he has his way of his way of storytelling is fascinating to me it's how i wish i could write if i was making movies i just wish i could find capture some of his essence and how he tells stories um now granted some of those stories are not he especially in recent years yoga hosers is unwatchable people uh I, you're talking about one of the biggest kevin smith fans there are yoga hosers is unwatchable jay and silent bob reboot man there's not a lot there it's not a lot there no i don't it got a lot of people talking nice things about it and then i watched it and i was like oh yeah. but you it, know it, yoga hosers I agree with Chad is damn near unwatchable. Whereas I defended Tusk and red state. Today. And I will defend Tusk and red state as well. I, I, when I saw red state at first, I did not care for it. I was actually upset. Cause I was like, uh, and, and, you know, I actually will uh, defend Jersey girl as well. Yeah. Um, Jersey girl is not bad. And it has a great performance by George Carlin. It really does. Yeah. And, and nobody's and, bad in that movie. Nobody's bad in that movie. It gets it gets kind of shit on. Uh, and Joe won't agree with me. I will actually defend Cop Out in some parts. Not all of it. <laughs> it's just so damn long, Chad, and boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that movie, there's no reason for it to be two hours long. Yeah, that movie could have been trimmed. Uh, but there are parts in it that are funny. Uh, Every, and, yes, anything with Sean William Scott. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tracy Morgan does not a need to have... A smidge. And everything Tracy, with Sean William Scott. Yeah, Tracy Morgan does not need as much screen time as he got. Uh, <laughs> well, when you're working with Bruce Willis Bruce, under those conditions. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, uh, but Yoga Hosers is probably the only film where I cannot defend him. I, I still defend Tusk. People shit on Tusk way too much, in my opinion. I, there's something there that people just don't appreciate. I, uh, I completely agree with you. I. Uh, so, no. Yeah, so Kevin Smith, uh, again, he's one of those ones that made me want to get into film. He's what made me try to stick with it for as long as I tried to. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just, I struggled with my last pick, but it always yeah. has to be Kevin Smith. That's good. Boys, instead of doing honorable mentions, I don't know how James feels about this. Could we do a part two of this later? Yeah, yeah, because I was saying, I, I do have some honorable mentions if we're going to do it, but if not, and my and what I would say is, should we maybe go into the next one with an idea of genre? Like, who is your favorite? If I give you a genre, can you name a director in it? Could we do something like that? Sure. Because we'll talk about I've, it. I've got one, and and I was like, oh, he's a really great director that I don't think many people talk about anymore. But God, as long I've as seen, it's not who we talked about, that sounds great. Yeah, because I've seen. This, the one that popped in my head, I've seen most of his movies, and it's because my dad loved his movies, and my dad never picked anything by director. I say James throws out the genre, and then we all three give answers without knowing what James is going to throw out, and you do three different genres, and we each give each a director for each genre. All right. Sound good, Chad? Sure. No? Sure. It's different. 
Yeah, we'll do that next week. It's what better than this boring ass wrong? shit. Remember, I don't know. It's different. I like it. Yeah. Maybe Jay and Chad will get to talk about the director of Serendipity. <laughs> I don't know why that one stuck in my head. I don't even think it's the one I saw in the theater. But God, you awful. went on a date on Serendipity. I thought. Is it Serendipity? I don't remember. It's awful. It's. Oh no! Awful. What was the? What's the? Uh... Uh, we're getting a little too personal. What was the time traveling one with Hugh Jackman? Oh, that's it. Oh, oh. Kate Leopold. That Kate made me Leopold. mine. That's I saw right. that in the theater too. Ooh, that's awful. Ah, uh, that was a good night handshake. Yep. <laughs> Which I didn't mind the good night handshake. It's just she, you know, almost hit me with a damned uh, uh, gate, making sure, and I didn't do anything. I would admit it if I'd done something and said something horrible. You all know me. I'd have been like, ah, I apologize to the lady who cut my hair six months ago for 20 years ago. I was like, oh, whatever I said, I'm sorry. Oh, that was great. Uh, so uh, the director of Serendipity, real quick, we have to talk about uh, Peter Chesham. He, uh, he Right before that, he directed Town and Country. Ooh. And that was before that, The Mighty. Uh, but after Serendipity... Uh, Shall We Dance, Hannah Montana, the movie. <laughs> Saw that. And then, of course, honestly, his only uh, enjoyable film, in my opinion, is Hector and the Search for Happiness with Simon Pegg. Uh, missed it. Missed Sorry. It. Well, Town and Country's okay, I guess. Is that the one with Warren Beatty? I think so. Isn't that the huge like bomb with Warren Beatty? think so I, I, I need to look more into it which yeah, is okay. not time for our podcast <laughs> all right so thank you all so much for tuning in we'll hopefully have some more director stuff coming your way anything else for the good of the group swept away also sucks as a romantic comedy there but do you think guy Ritchie and madonna were just hanging out uh i mean that turned around guy Ritchie. i know that that made start making all of his films go <laughs> he's rebounded i think pretty nicely has he I liked the last one really well. You didn't like the gentleman? I liked I it. I said it. I liked it. It's good. You well, I was talking to Chad. Chad. I wasn't just, yeah. How, how no, can no, you it's fun. Did you watch yeah. it, James? Yeah, yeah, I finally caught it. Yeah, it's fun. I wanted to see it in theaters, but then everything went sideways because life's up. Yeah, I know the feeling. All right, guys, thank you all so much. Please subscribe and have some of your friends subscribe because it makes me feel special. Or, or... Set up fake accounts based on dead people, as, as one of our friends said to do, and have those dead people subscribe. Sounds good to me. This is Bonehead. Pull out the Ouija board, kids. Grrrr. <laughs>